Laudator Jesus Christus. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Matt Gaspers, Managing Editor of Catholic Family News, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Dr. Brian McCall, who is the Editor-in-Chief of CFN, and we wish all of you uh, watching with us now and all those who will watch later a blessed beginning of Lent. Uh, we begin the whole, began the holy season of Lent yesterday with Ash Wednesday, and we hope all of you are having a, a good Lenten season thus far. I know it just started, but uh, this one uh, section from yesterday's liturgy really stuck out to me. I was just going to read it. It's, so it comes right after uh, the priest imposes ashes, gives us the sign of the cross on our forehead with the ashes in the traditional mass. He says, I'll read the English translation, Grant us, O Lord, the grace to begin the Christian's war of defense with holy fasts, that as we do battle with the spirits of evil, we may be protected by the help of self-denial. So it really grounds us in the reality of the spiritual warfare that we've now entered into through Ash Wednesday. All right, so we've got uh, an interesting lineup of stories for you this week. There's been so much going on since our last show. It seems like it's been at least two weeks, maybe more. Um, for starters, as many of you have probably guessed, and as we alluded to last week, we are going to discuss, uh, kind of give an overview of the tragic situation in Ukraine and try to frame it uh, in terms of its spiritual significance in light of the message of Our Lady of Fatima. And we're encouraged to see that the Ukrainian bishops have actually called on Pope Francis to consecrate uh, both their own nation and the nation of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, according to Our Lady's requests at Fatima. So we'll get into all of that uh, in our news report. We also have another confirmation from Archbishop Arthur Roach, the prefect for the Congregation for Divine Worship in Rome, that the traditional Latin Mass is fundamentally incompatible with the new ecclesiology or vision of the church ushered in by Vatican II. He was interviewed again by a you know very liberal journalist. That seems to be his favorites. No, <laughs> no uh, surprise there. So that was published in the the tablet. What's irritating about the, just as, a, as an aside, these last two interviews, so-called, that he's given, they don't provide just the full transcript of the interview. It's just, it's the uh, interviewer's summary of it. So you get snippets of it, but it'd be nice mm -hmm. to actually see the full transcript. But even from the snippets provided, it's more than enough evidence to uh, come to the conclusion that we have. We're also going to look at some further evidence uh, that was announced recently of strong support for the heretical LGBT agenda within the Vatican's Synod of Bishops. One of their officials is going to be addressing a horribly uh, a notorious pro-LGBT, pro-sodomy, really, group called New Ways Ministry that we've reported on before. Uh, we're also going to have a brief update on the so on the people's convoy, the truckers' convoy in the United States that's rolling through. I think currently they're in Indiana, if I remember yes. correctly, and headed to the nation's capital. They're due to arrive there, I think, over the weekend, if I recall correctly. Saturday, yes, yes, Saturday. 
And then finally, uh, a new text from Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. He's written an excellent Lenten meditation for this year um, with his usual eloquence and, and insight into several things. So time permitting, we'll get into some of what he's written and we have it posted in full on our website. So you can go and read it there in full for yourself as well. All right, so we are coming to you today live, uh, Thursday, March 3rd, 2022. And as I mentioned already, it is the day after Ash Wednesday. So we are into the great and holy season of Lent. I don't know if Brian had anything that stuck out to him from yesterday's liturgy or anything he's been pondering well, as we start this Lenten season this year. Certainly a lot going on in the world and the church. Yes, a lot going on, and you know, it. I, I think my only thoughts as we start is 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 the liturgy really sets the stage, as you said yesterday, for this this warfare against self, right? This that uh, we are to strive against our baser natures, and the church knows, as a good mother, that we can't do this all year round, right? We're weak, but if they don't set aside a time to do it, we'll never do it, right? right. It's like if you tell don't tell your children you're going to clean your room Saturday at ten a.m. It never seems to get done. If you just in vague say, oh, you should clean your room sometime, right? Parents know you have to be specific and, and make a time, make a deadline. So the church has set us this deadline. And it's important then that we do this time, right? The modern church that is, oh, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. Uh, right. No, this is a time set aside for it. Uh, although we do need to be open to God's inspiration. It's really the past two Lents in particular, but every year as I come around, I learn the lesson the hard way. I set up all my, all these things I'm going to do. And then God usually sends something that's really better for me. So I would yes. just say be vigilant to look out for the penances, obviously do what the church expects, the traditional fasting, just as your baseline, but be yes. on the lookout for the things God's going to send you this Lent. And uh, yes. Have an open heart to accept them the way our Lord accept his, accepted his cross. Absolutely. I think the, you know, the writings of St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, they talk about, you know, this passive purification is a very important part of our spiritual growth. We have yes. to do, the, we obviously have to cooperate and do some active things on our own to mm. dispose ourselves for that more, that higher form of purification, which God himself sends to the soul to purify yeah. our passions and such. So I'll, I, before we uh, move into our news, I just wanted to read the collect for today's mass really mm -hmm. struck me and it really ties into Archbishop Vigano's uh, meditation. The theme of which is basically embrace God's justice, that it is just for us to be afflicted for our sins and to mm -hmm. make reparation for sin, both for ourselves and for others by offering to God true penance in union with Christ crucified. So this is the collect for today's mass in the traditional missal. It says, O God, who by sin art offended and by penance appeased, mercifully regard the prayers of thy suppliant people and turn aside the scourges of thy anger, which we deserve for our sins. That really is a major theme in the mm. archbishop's uh, meditation for Lent that it, you know, the modern church, modern Catholics want, to, they don't like the idea that God of God's wrath and that God should be, has a right to be appeased, you know, 
Yes, and that really sums up a lot the differences between the old and the new the new mass, which Archbishop Roach, as we'll see, thinks is so rich that all yeah. of these themes have been toned down, right? We're, we're lent, those themes become even more intensified in the right. liturgy that the church has for each day. And, uh, you know, just one small example I'll point out in addition to that collect uh, is the prayer, so-called prayer, post-communion prayer over the people, which was d- destroyed in the new rite. And it begins every single day, not Sunday, because Sunday's in, not in Lent, Right. It's it's actually outside of Lent, technically, because um, it's for the 40 days don't include Sunday. So aside from that day, the days we're actually fasting, uh, it begins. The priest says, humilitate capita vestra deo, bow down your heads before God. And that, I think, sums up the difference between the old and the new, that the old is calling us to bow down like the publican. And the new mass is very full of pride, is very full of looking at ourselves. And you really see a lot of those differences come out very strongly uh, in Lent. Um, the other thing you notice about Lent it was, it is a trade-off that the church has moved back and forth with over time, uh, but was one of the changes in the 20th century, uh, is that the days of Lent, every day of Lent has its own propers. It's very unusual, right? That a feria, mm-hmm. you know, is just the mass of the previous Sunday. But Lent is so special that every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, of all of these six weeks have their own unique mass. But it's sometimes in the church's history those masses were suppressed because the saint's day took precedence and the rules were that, oh, well, if there's a saint's day, you do that. And and again, that's a trade-off because you obviously honor the saint and you get that inspiration of the saint. But one of the changes that I think, I think even traditional is to show we are, you know, there's nothing wrong with organic natural developments. One of the changes made in the mid 20th century was to shift that around and say it had to be a really high, you know, first class feast, solemnity of St. Joseph, for example for the saint to trump the Lent day. So most Lenten ferias are of the higher class so that they are always observed. And, um, you know, that has a trade-off because those saints, such as St. Thomas Aquinas, unless you're in a Dominican house, and Felicity and Pet Pretua who are coming up, do get a little muted because they happen to, in most cases, die in Lent. Right? That's why St. Thomas right. Aquinas is March 7th. That's when he died, unlike the crazy date they gave him in the new calendar in January, which has no relation to him. Um, so it does mean they get a little muted, but I think in many ways that would, is a very Catholic understanding. I think the saints would appreciate that. We're in this time of intense uh, you know, penance and mortification that the saints yes. take a little bit of a, a – again, they are commemorated, but they're not, they don't get the whole mass to themselves. Right. Well, I think they would say in union with uh, St. John yes. the Baptist that Christ must increase and I must decrease. Yes. All right. Well – here we go. We're going to try and tackle this very complicated uh, situation going on in Ukraine, much more complex than a lot of the talking heads on television would have us believe. <laughs> yeah, and I, think I, the first, I, go ahead. I guess that's what I would say is kind of an opening point, if you want to sort of, in a nutshell. I think our ears should go up, our antennas should go up whenever the mainstream media or politicians are trying to characterize things as so black and white and so... Uh, you know, it, it, the last week has really reminded me of the 1990s uh, when the first George Bush went to go invade Iraq and then the second George Bush in the early 2000s, where all of a sudden this guy, Saddam Hussein, who had been thought of as this great ally of the U.S. in the 1980s. Right. When I was growing up in the 1980s, he was our ally, supposedly. He was a right. great guy bringing democracy to Iraq. And then all of a sudden this r- weird switch to he's the devil incarnate. Whenever you see that. 
I think it's a good sign you should be a little skeptical about what you're being told. Right. Oh, and before I forget, I saw someone in the comments mention that the first Saturday is coming up. That'll also play yes. into our, our, our yes. factor into our reporting. So I wanted to start out today just with a, you know, familiarizing ourselves. You've probably yes. seen these maps of Ukraine okay. all over television and stuff. There yeah, was one that's... map... In that's the invasion I was just starting with. So this yeah. shows, just so you can orient Ukraine, it is just southwest of Russia. Uh, it is next to Poland and, uh, again, which is, is and Romania, Eastern Europe. So really on the transition from Eastern Europe in, into Russia. Uh, and, you know, it was at the time of the Soviet Union, a Soviet or kind of a state within the Soviet Union. But it's one of those right. areas that broke off. Uh, and then, uh, ironically, there's sort of a group in the East that have now won a claim they want to break off from Ukraine. And that was one of the pretexts that uh, was used to sort of support this, this breakaway region. It's always a reminder of liberalism always is sort of fractionating, right? When yes. we want to break off from you, then you want to break off from us. Uh, that's how we got West Virginia. It's another story. But um, yes. but that that is this sort of one view. And then we also want to show another view that Matt was alluding to. Uh, they give you, a, I think, as a visual image, it gives you a picture of the complex nature uh, of the the area known as uh, Ukraine, and right. it's not really just a the demographics, basically. Yes, it's not a monolithic country. So maybe Matt can explain a little bit what we're seeing. Yes, so this is a what's called an ethno-linguistic map of Ukraine. It's available on from Wikimedia mm -hmm. Commons, and so basically, this it divides things up into the country and eth ethnic Ukrainians, which are mostly in the west and some in the central. The red area is mostly mm -hmm. Ukrainian speaking, and then the pink to the north is predominantly Ukrainian speaking. And then you have the yellow area uh, to the south, which says mostly Russian speaking, and then these kind of tan beige areas, uh, predominantly Russian speaking. And then you have an another section called ethnic Russians, which is you know the area of Crimea in the south. Uh, is ethnic Russian majority, and that was the area that was annexed by Russia in after a vote of the people there that they wanted to secede mm. from Ukraine and go over to Russia. So that happened in early March of 2014. And then in the in the eastern part of the country, where the you have the yellow with the brown stripes, it says significant ethnic Russian population, and I think. Part of this is probably because, you know, over the over the decades, over the centuries, really, the boundaries of Ukraine have changed multiple times. And there's so much overlap between, um, you know, Ukrainian heritage, Russian heritage. So it's not an it's not a nice, neat, um, you know, black and white situation over there, as some might have us believe. And, these conflicts, and, and, then, and these conflicts have been going on for a very long time. Yes. No. And the only thing I'd add, in addition to the ethnic and, and linguistic uh, complexity, uh, there is also uh, an interesting religious history to Ukraine. So Ukraine yes. was always Eastern, was Eastern Rite, and it followed uh, the, the, the patriarch in Moscow, essentially, into schism and heresy uh, in the, the great schism that occurred in the church. Uh, and uh, it, it, though, had another interesting history that didn't occur in any of those other countries. So if you go to Greece 
or you go to Russia, you'll find virtually no Roman Catholics. I mean, there right. are, I mean, minuscule. And mostly there are people who have moved there from, you know, the West. They're not, you know, native, mostly. Again, there, there's a few, very few exceptions. But Ukraine, you actually had a larger movement uh, retur return to unity. They're so-called uniate yes. Ukrainians. Um, that came back and are f in full union with the church, have renounced their heresy and schism, and they are a significant population uh, in Ukraine. So right. significant that the Ukrainian uh, Orthodox, remember, Orthodox are the heretical schismatic, generally how we refer to them, uh, who, although having valid orders, have passed on, have not lost apostolic succession, have lost key elements of the faith. Um, right. They are, you know, they, and along with the Russian, are very you know, irritated with the, this larger uh, Ukrainian Catholic population. That's an important fact to keep in mind yes. uh, as, as we're going to talk through. Well, this. there was one saint that we sell. There's it's one of the only Eastern Rite saints that we celebrate on the Roman calendar. It's Saint uh, Josephat Kunchevich. Yes. Uh, on November, I think it's November 14th. Sorry for the noise. And he was the uh, Ruthenian Catholic Archbishop of Polotsk in modern-day Belarus, another country mm -hmm. we, we've been hearing a lot about that's to the north of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And he was martyred in uh, 1623 for his fidelity to Rome and his success in bringing back many Ruthenian Orthodox souls into communion with Rome. Mm -hmm. And Ruthenian is kind of another, it's in the, the Ukrainian family, I believe, of, of mm -hmm. rights, ethnic groups. Yes. So yeah, the the uh, Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church is the largest of the Eastern Rite churches that are in communion with Rome. Yes. So yes. So that's kind of a general background. I mean, and then we'll get into some of the things that uh, Vladimir Putin has been saying about the historical narrative. But I think it's important to understand that you know Russia, <laughs> yes, does trace its history back to the ancient civilization of Eastern Slavs called Kievan Rus which is, mm -hmm. you know, modern day Kiev. Um, but interestingly, you know, he wants to make it sound like Ukraine came out of Russia, where in fact, it's the exact opposite. Russia actually <laughs> came out of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have a great book on this subject, goes into lots of going back to the beginnings of Kievan Rus. It's called The Catholic Church and Russia, written by a a Russian historian, an American historian who specializes in Russian history, uh, Professor Je Dennis J. Dunn at Texas State University. Mm -hmm. I actually emailed him a question about this earlier in the week, trying to sort out all this, you know, fact-checking Putin's history narrative. Um, so, yeah, the Kievan Rus, I mean, because Putin focuses on, you know, in his mind and in the mind of the Russian Orthodox, um, Ukraine and Russia should be one people, you know, mm -hmm. and that basically that Russia should be in charge. Um, but right, is, right. But he's doing a little. I mean, in some cases, in the old, the ancient, more ancient history that he's talking about, he is doing some historical revisionism. Absolutely, and and maybe let's talk a little bit about the players. Give some 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 background. Yeah. So Putin is, I would say, a real enigma. Again, unlike the modern media, that just wants to sort of paint him very simplistically as just this tyrant, uh, he, he is a real enigma, right? Because first, we yes. know he's a KGB agent. He was very high up in the KGB under the Soviet, and the KGB was one of the most brutal secret police uh, of and, and ruthless and very much calculating. 
the KGB was in for a very long game. We know yes. from the AA uh, 105 book, if you've ever seen that little orange book of the papers found on a priest in France, that they were in the KGB was infiltrating Catholic seminaries in the early to mid 20th century. Uh, they, they, we know from Bella Dodd's testimony, testimony in Congress that the KGB was really behind this decades-long plans of infiltrating the church and the West to bring it about. Yes. And Putin was at the heart of that, and we can't forget that. Yes. Then on the other hand, when he comes to power, he's done some things which catch Catholics by the eye and say, wow, he sounds more Catholic than Pope Francis sometimes. <laughs> he's yes. condemned homosexuality. Uh, he is, again, spoken out somewhat against abortion again still legal in russia but he is he's made some uh noise against it he has um talked against the new world order and globalism and the need for nations to have their own culture um and, and so there's some very odd mixtures there uh and and we're really not left like i said an enigma uh, is he really for these good things or is this part of the kgb facade right is he putting on the mask to the west that is the best that he can use now to advance this long agenda. I, and I'll be honest, I don't know. I think he's someone to be treated with care because he is somebody that's really hard to know. Uh, is he merely a fellow traveler who may support a few useful things? Or is he a, you know, a, a real long play operative here who's really meant to undermine you know, the, the, um, the world and become a, a, you know, again, he is clearly a very harsh ruler. He has clearly, you know, been in power a long time. Now let's look at Ukraine because again, they want to paint Ukraine as this model of democracy that we are coming to defend. Whatever uh, that well, means, whatever yeah. that means in their <laughs> language. But first of all, we have to remember who really destabilized Ukraine. Well, that would be the United States. And what I find very ironic about all this is the United States is being very hypocritical. I think that's the first thing we can say. Very much do as I say, do as I, you know, not as I do. So first right. of all, when the United What's States... Putin wants, has pointed out in his speeches. Uh, in yeah. his speeches, yes. So when we want to invade Afghanistan or Iraq and get rid of the people there, that's A-OK, but it's not OK for Putin. Now, again, that doesn't justify Putin. If you're doing something wrong just because America did it doesn't make it wrong. But it does make us hypocritical to say that. Right. Um, and so, first of all, what happened, you have to understand the Obama administration had a, a really interesting uh, policy towards Ukraine. So there was a, a, a government in Ukraine that, again, according to their system, seemed to be legitimate, uh, but it was very friendly towards Moscow. And so the CIA, under the Obama administration in 2013 and 14, uh, fomented a revolution that overthrew that right. government. Uh, they, Known they as the like, so-called revolution of dignity. dignity. I don't know if that's a very appropriate yes. <laughs> name. For, the, for it what goes happened. by several different names, but that's the yeah. one the USC and particularly the CIA used. And so we threw out, you know, it was okay for us to meddle in Ukraine and get, you know, change regimes. Uh, but, you know, Putin can't do that. Now, again, that two wrongs don't make a right. That doesn't justify Putin's invasion of the country. But it does say, you know, who are we to start standing up on our high horses. Then the last thing you got to know about this guy, Zelensky, that everyone's talking, you know, that you listen to the news media, you think he's, uh, you know, a prophet come, you know, with the, the greatest. He's been turned leader. into a worldwide hero overnight. Hero, yes. Uh, first of all, he, he is uh, uh, not the leader of openness and democracy. He himself is a tyrant, I would say, pretty much equal to Putin. He is very much in league with big other all this year about oligarchs of Putin. He's in league with Ukrainian oligarchs. Uh, he 
uh, is uh, imprisons the opposition, throws political prisoners into jail without charges. Uh, he also is a pretty, uh, 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 I would say, not very, uh, uh, not moral a very moral character. person. Yes. to put it very, yes. very, mildly. It very mildly. Let's say it, he was a, a famous uh, comedian, and his comedic acts were so vulgar and and disgusting that I can't even describe them. Uh, I mean, that's sort of how disgusting they are. Right. His wife is a radical feminist uh, who promotes feminism and a radically opposed abortion. And let's not forget, he essentially was the pawn of the Democrats here in all their Russia gate. He cooperated with the Hillary Clinton campaign to get the disinformation about President Trump. He was happy to be there to push the narrative about the Ukraine, uh, uh, you know, the the call of president trump to him when he said hey what's going on with the biden family uh and we have all this evidence that came out last year that you know the current resident of the united states has uh, you know it made millions and millions of dollars in his family through these oligarchs and right. the whole thing says this whole thing stinks right it stinks for ukraine but it stinks from the america why are we you know, and 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 can we really trust what we're being told? I think that that's something to understand when you see these characters are not as two dimensional as the right. media makes them. And so, all of that background, coupled with you know the NATO buildup of and real, I mean, there has been there's it's undeniable there has been a, a buildup of NATO of countries mm -hmm. in Eastern Europe joining NATO, Poland, uh, etc., and coupled with. Um, <clears throat> trying to get Ukraine itself into the into NATO as well as into the the European Union which is certainly not a beacon of hope for humanity uh, no. quite the opposite it's it, they their their official logo is literally building the tower of babel that's what brussels <laughs> and they've made their headquarters look like an unfinished tower of babel so certainly not uh a beacon of hope for the social kingship of Christ or, no. any, or getting back to Europe's roots or Christendom or anything like that. Well, so and we just have, pause what Matt said on, to think about that, right? Because if we remember those, remember the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962, when the United States was outraged that Russia was putting military bases and nuclear weapons 90 miles from the United States, right, right on our doorstep. And understandably, we were concerned about that. Well, if right. you put yourself at least in Russia's position again, Putin, I, like I said, I don't think we should hold him up as some paragon of virtue, but he has a legitimate concern when NATO says we're going to come and put NATO military installations, which likely could include nuclear weapons closer to the Russian border than Cuba was to the U S and you sort of have a point. What does the United States need to be doing there? Uh, again, he, he shouldn't be invading the country. I think, although we invaded Cuba, interesting, we tried to, failed, but we did. He shouldn't be invading Cuba, but I mean, in Ukraine. And now right. I sound like Joe Biden, who thought that it was, if you listen to the State of the <laughs> Union, he said Putin will never win the hearts and minds of the Iranian people, but he didn't catch himself. Uh, but in any event, <laughs> geopolitically, you understand what, what Putin is saying as the leader of, of his country. Right. So fast forward to the more recent events. I think we've given you quite a bit of background info and I can provide some links in the, mm -hmm. vi the video description for further uh, reading on your own part. But basically what happened recently, so let's see, what was it? Um, last week, Monday, yeah, February 21st, Putin broadcast a very lengthy speech, which I would kind of summarize as a manifesto mm -hmm. as to why Ukraine, in his words, quote, 
is an inalienable part of our, meaning Russia's own history, culture, and spiritual space, which in some ways it is, but he's also kind of using that for political ends. Uh, and in this speech, at the end of it, he unilaterally recognized, quote, the independence and sovereignty of the Donetsk, uh, Donetsk People's Republic and the Lugansk uh, People's Republic, which are two administrative regions in the far eastern side of Ukraine that border Russia. Um, so unilaterally, he said, you know, the people there want independence from Ukraine and, then, and sovereignty, so I recognize them as having it, essentially. Uh, three days later is when he, act, you know, Russian troops actually entered into the country of Ukraine, and Putin gave another lengthy speech and explanation for his quote decision, excuse me, to carry out a special military operation. That's what he's calling it in Ukraine, and this is what he said quote The purpose of this operation is to protect people who for eight years now, again, going back to that, you know, the stirring up of revolution and the coup uh, or the, you know, the ousting of the old president, getting a new regime back in late 2013, early 2014. So he says to protect uh, people who for eight years now have been facing humiliation and genocide perpetrated by the Kiev regime. Now he's I think he's probably using some hyperbole. I certainly hope so. I don't know of any genocide going on in Ukraine currently. But he goes on to say, he said on February 24th, to this end, we will seek to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. Something you've probably heard in the news over and over. He keeps referring to neo-Nazis basically having taken over the country of Ukraine. And when I first heard that claim, I thought that sounded pretty far-fetched kind of crazy but after i started doing some digging into it i actually found that there is some credibility to what he's saying you know there's there are there are groups you know to often called like nationalist or ultra nationalist groups that hold up uh you you know ukrainians from generations ago like one in particular stepan bandera who was a nazi collaborator um, so, you know, there is some truth mixed in with his, uh, hyperbole and, and mm. kind of twisting of the historical narrative. I think there are some, some concerning, you know, far right neo-Nazi, if that's what you want to call them, groups mixed into the, into Ukraine, into the ruling elite over there. Um, but let's see here. So. Yeah, I mean, that's what he essentially says. The purpose of this so-called special military operation is to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. Now, as Brian said, like even like even if there's bad things going on in another country, that doesn't give another country right. the right to go in and invade a sovereign nation uninvited um, and demilitarize and denazify them. I mean... I don't know if Brian, obviously Brian has studied very much That's, the just war theory and obviously that doesn't meet the criteria. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I mean, you don't, you can't go to say, well, we're going to fix your country like we did in Afghanistan, Iraq, right. Somalia, Yugoslavia. I mean, they go on and on and on. 
uh, Cuba, we tried but failed. A again, that is not justified to just say, well, we think your country's got a problem. We're going to fix it and, and we're going to change. So, again, he's I don't think under just war theory, he has no no right to this, no right to do this. Um, right. However, the question is, what is our reaction to it? And is our reaction, you know, should, do, is this really something other nations need to get involved in? Uh, because it's it's sort of like a fight among two dodgy people, right? <laughs> right, uh, right, and the and the stakes for other people. I mean, basically, yeah. within a matter of what this this past week, the, virtually the entire world. I mean, that's how the ma the mainstream media would have us think. The entire world is with Ukraine and against Russia, and Russia is completely isolated. Yeah. I mean, President Biden referred to that in his um, state of the union address which was more like the state of ukraine for the first 20 or 30 minutes of yeah. the speech um talking and actually that was another gaffe when he said that we were going to invade you we were going to fight you right right <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah yeah but anyway if we step back from the details and how does a catholic think about this well i think first of all obviously there's there's real pain and suffering here. I mean, there's obviously disputes between the two parties, how many people have died, but it's in the hundreds and thousands. Uh, people have died, a lot of devastation, clearly. Again, how much, I don't really know. You can't really trust the news media. There have been several pictures that the news media is using that have been debunked as actually coming from Afghanistan. There was one, actually, I saw that actually had, it was clearly from a movie. It was just taken from a movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. who knows? But all we know is there must be real suffering. But we know as Catholics that war... Uh, along with with other things like disease, viruses are punishments for sin ultimately, and they will always be with us. Um, the closer we get to end times, there will be wars and rumors of wars. We know that, and we know what's the only solution to it. Well, ultimately, it's it's the Christ, the King. But with respect to this part of the world, we know there's actually a proximate uh, remedy to that. Something that comes before even that, that will usher in the reign of Christ, the King more widely. And that is the consecration of Russia to the immaculate yes. heart. And so that's why, why is this so interesting for Catholics? Because we know Russia holds a key, a very important role in some great transformation that we know because our lady gave us her word is going to come about. What is that transformation? The triumph of the Immaculate Heart and a period of peace will be given to the world. So although war will always be with us, like pestilence and, and other things, we will be given before the end of time a period of peace, a reprieve, ushered in by a clear conversion of Russia to the Immaculate Heart. And for all of the Fatima naysayers who try to you know, rewrite Our Lady's message, Shouldn't this be even more proof that Russia has not been consecrated? Would a consecrated Russia, led by a former KGB agent, start a war invading a, a country? Does that sound like the period of peace and the triumph of the Immaculate Heart? Obviously not. So I think no. this really debunks even further. People have tried to claim, oh, look, Russia's converted. Look at Putin. He's going to church, right? <laughs> Which, you know, so I said, he, he, I, it's likely, it's possible that he, this is all an act. With yes, he's going to church with the patriarch who is also a KGB agent. agent yes. <laughs> Again, we don't have time to go in that, but if you check our website, we have a really interesting article by a, a Dr. Ronald Reichlich, who uh, is a Ukraine-Russia expert. And he really lays out, frankly, what John Venari has been saying for years is that the, the Eastern Orthodox Church in Russia and the patriarchs and the leadership have all been KGB agents 
that uh, you know were invited into the Second Vatican Council. It's kind of interesting. He talks about it in light of what's going on in Ukraine, but it's real confirmation of the errors of Ostpolitik that you know we've yes. been talking about here for for decades. Uh, but anyway, I think that brings us to the real thought for Catholics. We should be praying for this and specifically doubling down our prayers for the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart in the way Our Lady requested, which has never uh, yes. been done. Yes, and specifically just to quote what Our Lady said specifically to Sister Lucia during an apparition on June 13th, 1929, so this is years after the original apparitions in Fatima, Portugal, she told Sister Lucia when she was in the convent in Tui, Spain, quote, the moment has come in which God asks the Holy Father to make and to order, not to ask, to order that in union with him and at the same time, all the bishops of the world make the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart promising God, promising to convert it because of this day of prayer and worldwide reparation. No pope has ever fulfilled all of these requirements simultaneously. Mm. Ergo, Russia is not consecrated. And again, to end with hope, uh, maybe this incident, this sad incident, which has brought suffering, will be a catalyst for that. We learned just yesterday that Ukrainian Catholic, again, the Uniite Catholics, bishops, asked Pope Francis to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And here is a, uh, they have, uh, there's a picture, a little video on LifeSite News, and they have a translation of their statement. Yes. Uh, and what's interesting, it says, specifically to consecrate to the Sacred Immaculate Heart of Mary, Ukraine and Russia, as requested by the Blessed Virgin in Fatima. Notice yes. they didn't say, oh, as was already done. Can you repeat it? They actually say as requested, indicating that they think it hasn't been done. So, again, that's a really interesting development. We do know, I know from several inside sources, Pope Francis has dismissed as recently as this past June uh, doing this. He said, nah, that's done. I'm not going to do it. But, again, we should pray because this may be a moment of grace where God will make use of the instrument uh, and, and, and inspire Pope Francis to do this. We'll see. Yes. Because, and just on a, f a final note, I know we've spent a lot of time on this topic, but it is a very important one. It's certainly the one dominating the news. The stakes are extremely high in, in this situation. Specifically, if Ukraine does end up joining the European Union and more specifically joining NATO, because if they join NATO, then we, according to the, um, according to the provisions of NATO, you know, if if they are attacked or something, you know, then every NATO country has the obligation to come to their aid with military force. Um, so, yeah, it's <laughs> ironic. It's it's exactly what brought about World War One. Because if you study World War One, there were these pacts that were set up among the different nations that said, if this happens, if this gets invaded, we automatically declare war and get pulled into it. It's kind of we don't learn from our own history. NATO is basically modeled on those same treaties that precipitated World War One when. Uh, uh, Serbia uh, had the uh, had uh, again the Eastern Europe had this uh, invasion occur. Yes. So, so, Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Pray for us. And, yes. And pray for Pope Francis to consecrate Russia. Yes. All right. So we're with the time we have left. We'll get through as much of our uh, outline as we can. As I mentioned in the introduction, Archbishop Arthur Roach 
has confirmed yet again that the traditional Latin Mass is incompatible with Vatican II's new ecclesiology. This, this is actually the subject of my article for the March paper, and I'll see if I can get that posted on the website sometime soon. Um, but at, when this, so he he gave an interview. Archbishop Roach gave an interview to the Rome correspondent for the Tablet, a notoriously liberal progressive uh, outlet. And Christopher Lamb was the interviewer. Mm -hmm. So uh, my first reaction was, and I have a tweet that I put out comparing the text side by side. Archbishop Roach and Cardinal Blaise Supich are basically reading from the same script. Um, so I'll, there, here's a quote from the February 20th. It was, was published on February 24th, the new Archbishop Roach interview. And it's a basically a summary of the interview by Mr. Lamb. It's not an actual transcript, as I said earlier. So it reads, there is a deep theological foundation to the Pope's recent rulings regarding Traditionis Custodis, or in referring to that, he, Roach, stresses. It is not about some Catholics having a personal preference for Latin. It goes to the heart of how the church sees itself in its mission. So there we have ecclesiology in a nutshell. Uh, it is about the old saying, lex orandi, lex credendi. How we pray is how we believe. Absolutely right. We completely agree. So it goes on. Roach points out that Vatican II's dogmatic constitution on the church, Lumen Gentium, shifted away from a model of the church as a, quote, perfect society, which in fact it is, mm -hmm. uh, to the biblical notion of the church as the pilgrim people of God. So that's the the fundamental shift there. And I go into my article noting several different ways that the traditional mass really exemplifies and manifests the fact that the church is a perfect society, a society containing everything within itself needed to attain its end, the end that God has set for it. Well, and even and, that image you, you mentioned is, again, how these modernists are so slippery, right? Because they say, oh, the biblical image. And they're referring, obviously, to the, Isra the Israelites, who were a pilgrim people because they were you know, moving from Egypt to the Promised Land. But ironically, that term goes against everything in their liturgical agenda because the pilgrim people of the biblical times absolutely had a hierarchical priesthood that stood between the people, faced God, and offered sacrifice on behalf of the people, something that Roach says is not Catholic worship. So again, ironically, <laughs> they claim they have this biblical image, but they want the image without what it actually stood for. This right. pilgrim people didn't stand around in a big circle singing Kumbaya and <laughs> passing around a chalice to each other. They right. actually stood outside the temple and couldn't even see the sacrifices being offered because they weren't allowed in the court of the priests. So right. the pilgrim people has more connection to the traditional Latin mass of the Bible than does, uh, you know, the Novus Ordo. So ironically, their own imagery condemns them. <laughs> Excellent point. Excellent point. Um, so LifeSite News uh, wrote a report, and the the gentleman who wrote it, Michael uh, Hines, who actually has an excellent article in the uh, the current March paper for CFN, I highly recommend it. He he's written a book on the subject of um, basically examining the ecumenical problems with the the John Paul II's Catechism of the Catholic Church, mm. and his article is based on on his book. So I definitely want to. You'll definitely want to check that out. But he reached out to me for comments. I have a few comments in his report, so I'll include a, a link to that article. 
but ultimately, you know, going back to this comparison to <clears throat> what Cardinal Blaze Supich said last November, I mean, so Roach says it goes to the heart of how the church sees itself in its mission. And Blaze Supich uh, last November says the very nature of the church and her mission is at stake in reference to Traditionis Custodis. The council fathers described the church as a pilgrim people and goes on to say the church previously understood as a perfect society. So they're literally using the same language, the same vocabulary. It's like they're reading from the same script. It's, it's very, <laughs> very humorous. Um, so yeah, moving on, I think we think we better probably should move on to our next story on um, this official of the Synod of Bishops as apparently is apparently going to headline an event hosted by the heterodox New Ways Ministry, something that uh, Father James Martin S.J. was celebrating on Twitter. I don't know if we can display that tweet on the screen. If not, it's yes. all right. Yes. No, again, I sorry. Uh, uh, it, it, before I guess we move on, I guess the last comment I oh, made yeah. about the Roche interview uh, is it really – it's even self-contradictory. I mean, and first he floats all of his false historical information and he, about the liturgical movement, which again, a great book, the new, the, the liturgical movement that's I think put out by Angelus press shows yes. how the, the liturgical movement was a good thing, but lost its way. Right. And yes. even uh, father Boyer, he was one of the leaders of the liturgical movement after the new mass basically got, you know, got away and said, this is not what we were trying to do. So, and it false notion of St. Pius X and Pope Pius XII's reforms, which were organic reforms of liturgy. Uh, and again, then he even self-contradictory, right, says, oh, this isn't about personal preferences that Matt read. And then in the end of the interview, he says, people can't just have their personal preferences when it comes to the liturgy. So again, the whole thing is is just so clearly propaganda. And, and uh, it, it just keeps pushing that, that agenda. But anyway, moving on to our, our, our new story. As Matt said, here's the uh, tweet. Uh, this lady, you may recognize her. We actually talked about her in a story on the Synod. She is yes. incognito, sister Natalie <laughs> Becar. And she is uh, from the Xavier order, which I think is from referring to St. Francis Xavier, who must be turning over in his grave yes. uh, looking at this. Uh, and first, I want to say two radical things about this that, again, I think we mentioned before. But this nun is an official in the Synod, which is sort of novel enough, with a vote. So think about that. A Synod is a collection of bishops to vote on the jurisdiction, the governance of the church, which is a unique charism of the bishops, as well as to vote right. on doctrine of the church. And now someone who is not even an ordained priest is being given a, a, a vote in the Synod of Bishops. So I just let that sink in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Secondly, now she is, and we talked about this in our last report on the Synod, is very friendly to this new waves, new waves ministry. Uh, which supports not just sodomy to be legalized and blessed by the state, uh, transgender changes, mutilation of your body, and yes. abortion, all three of those. And uh, this group is not recognized by the Catholic Church in any way. Thank goodness. No, it's been formally censured multiple times. Formally censured, yes, yeah. multiple times. But now she, this undersecretary of the Synod, who gets to vote with the bishops, will be delivering the 2022 Nugent Memorial Lecture this April, right? More details. Uh, that, that comes from the New Waves Ministry. And then 
Father James Martin, sometimes Jesuit, says another step forward for LGBTQ Catholics. High ranking official in the Synod of Bishops accepts invitation from New Ways Minister to deliver lecture named in author Father Robert Nutrid, co-founder. Right. The and very priest on, who was censured by the Vatican under Cardinal yes, Ratzinger. That's Father Nugent, who founded the co-founder of New Ways Ministry, along with another nun. Kind of sounds like Martin Luther and the nun he married. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, and Martin says in another tweet, this will have promote healing and reconciliation. Uh, again, that's their sort of Trojan horse that they use to uh, try to... Uh, uh, push this but clearly this is you know we've been reporting on this new ways ministries had a big presentation on the senate of uh, bishops website page right uh and we reported on the the last week which interestingly was also pushing this vatican II ecclesiology as you'll recall uh, the upside down exactly the uh, upside pyramid. down yep exactly yep. we reported on the meeting on the the little conference at the vatican where they were pushing you know the status of the question of female ordination uh, th this is clearly part of their agenda. Sue Bitch and Roach speak for the way the church is going. And now having this sister Natalie, uh, you know, go give a speech there. What does it say? It signals this is acceptable. This is the way the church is moving. Uh, so no nothing good is likely to come out right. of that. Her speech apparently is entitled Synodality, a Path of Reconciliation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> More reconciliation with the world that we're supposed to shun, as we've heard in the propers for the Lenten season. <laughs> yes. And there's actually I, there's a good conference on the Sacrament Series podcast uh, that I just heard. It was Father, uh, who is it? Father Robinson. And he talks about the change of the sacrament of penance and confirmation to reconciliation. And again, something I never thought about, how that word is really very tricky, because in a certain sense, penance reconciles us to God, but reconciliation can be used in another way, like, oh, just reconcile yourself, right? Come to terms with, just accept. And that, right. that is what often the modern sacraments meant to be, just, you know, come to terms with who you are. Uh, and again, that's why that term is a very slippery modernist term. Yes. But in any event, very briefly, I'll just very mention, briefly mention, uh, and particularly I see KD, another Canadian viewer, is watching us today. So thanks to the brave Canadians uh, who did their truckers' convoy, many of whom are still sitting like political as political prisoners in prison without bail. We're so upset about uh, that happening with uh, Ukraine, but uh, you know we're not invading. Uh, you know we're not uh, doing anything to stop Canada from doing that. But in any event. Um, the uh, the convoy inspired a group here in America to do the same thing, to launch a uh, people's convoy across the United States uh, to, again, protest, to speak out against the COVID tyranny or what Governor Ron DeSantis called yesterday uh, COVID theater. Uh, he's getting persecuted by the mainstream media, by the way. If you see the clip, it's hilarious. He comes into some school kids and he says, you don't have to wear those masks. Just to take them off. You right. don't need to wear those. And ironically, the night before he does this, all the you know octogenarian Democrats are running around hugging each other in Congress without a mask. Guess it was okay for them, but it's wrong of him to tell a bunch of school kids that they don't have to wear masks. Uh, but this is to put an end to that. And so a group of trucks left uh, last week, left California, and they're driving across the country. Uh, and they have uh, been through multiple states. I heard from some people here in Oklahoma that they passed through Oklahoma last weekend. And as you can see in some of this, these pictures from the um, Epic Times, 
there were maybe about 100 trucks, 80 to 100 trucks, thousands of other vehicles getting involved and thousands of other people. And uh, you know, I had confirmed here as it passed through I-40 in Oklahoma City, the overpasses, as you can see in some of these pictures, yes. were packed with people holding flags, signs, we support you, like that picture there. So getting huge support. They met in Indiana yesterday, today, yesterday and today and converged with a couple other convoys coming from different parts of the country and have swelled their number again to thousands of vehicles on their way to Washington, uh, D.C. So it looks like it looks like they had some kind of a rally with some elected officials. Uh, pro, well, there's one U.S. Senate candidate, Mark McCloskey, who is actually, uh, if you remember, he and his wife made headlines during the peaceful protests in St. Louis uh, when they came out with some guns to defend their house. Against oh, is that the same? Antifa. That's the same. Guy. That's who okay. it is. Yes. Who was persecuted for defending his house. Uh, he's now also running the U.S. Senate. That looks like the Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita was also in attendance at a rally in Monrovia, Indiana. That was last night. Yes. So uh, pray for the truckers, those doing this, to stand up for for what's right and to end the New World Order tyranny uh, through the Branch Covidian cult, as Chris Ferrara likes to call it, <laughs> uh, that is, you know, attempting to impose this as a new vest, liturgical vestment that we're all supposed to wear, uh, yes. as well as the sacrament of uh, injection that they are yes. uh, trying to promote. So, so if they stay on schedule, they are scheduled to arrive um, sat this coming Saturday, March fifth, in uh, Maryland, and then ultimately in the D.C. Beltway. But as Brian mentioned, I think in our report last week, they're not going to be stopping and, um, you know, parking or anything like in downtown in Washington, yes. D.C. itself, because they don't want to fit potentially face what uh, our Canadian yes. friends to the north have been facing with all of that. So, yes. So I guess before we go, uh, just two sort of brief announcements. One, uh, we did post uh, to begin Lent a meditation, which has been published, uh, and you can find it in other places, but has been sent to several outlets to publish uh, from Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano uh, on um, Lent. And as the title says, embrace God's justice, make reparation for sin by offering true penance in union with Christ crucified, which really the title captures the very, the theme of the meditation which very much comes through the traditional liturgy, as he refers to in his meditation. Yes. Uh, but really offer it to you, particularly if you don't have a traditional mass nearby, a good thing to do, read the propers of those Latin masses every day, can be a good spiritual reading. But this yes. can be a good inspiration for uh, hearing the message that you're probably not hearing from Novus Ordo bishops uh, around the uh, the country about Lent, where they kind of want to soften its um it's meaning, but really a beautiful meditation. I don't know if Matt, you want to share any particular part of it or. Yeah, I was going to, uh, towards the end when he's trying, you know, wrapping up and getting into this, what true penance is versus, you know, vain false penance mm. that some people associate with Lent. So he says the present events, the crimes that are daily committed by humanity, the multitude of sins that defy, defy the divine majesty the injustices of individuals and of nations, the lies and frauds committed with impunity cannot be defeated by human means, not even if an army would take up weapons to restore justice and punish the wicked. Because human forces, without the grace of God and without being enlivened by a supernatural vision, are sterile and ineffective. 
But there is a way to combat this deception into which humanity has fallen for more than three centuries, that is, since it has had the pride and presumption to deify man and usurp the royal crown from Jesus Christ. And this way, infallible because it is divine, is the return to penance, sacrifice, and fasting. And here's where he contrasts what he calls vain penance versus true penance. He says, not the vain penance of those who run on treadmills, not the foolish <laughs> sacrifice of those who make themselves sterile in order not to overpopulate the planet. Like mm. these are worldly forms of so-called penance, right. which are actually false and, and evil. Not the empty fasting of those who de deprive themselves of meat in the name of green ideology. <laughs> Bill these Gates. Are, Yes, these are once again diabolical deceptions uh, with which we silence our consciences. Mm. He goes on, true penance, which Holy Lent ought to encourage us to carry out in a fruitful way, is that by which each of us offers privations and sufferings in atonement for our own sins and those committed by our neighbor, by nations, and by men of the church. Mm. True sacrifice, that is, uh, with which we unite ourselves with gratitude to the sacrifice of the cross. True fasting is that which we deprive ourselves of food, not to lose weight, but in order to restore the primacy of the will over the passions mm -hmm. of the soul over the body. So we encourage you to read the, the text in full. It's a very good read. Yes, yes. And another source for some um, uh, nourishment, we were happy to announce today the relaunch of a website that uh, used to run when our, our, our predecessor, John Venari, was the longtime ca editor of Catholic Family News. Yes. Uh, and it provided access to conferences and classes uh, taught or prepared or organized by John. And thanks to the effort of his children, actually, uh, they have just launched Alton Library. Uh, services, a traditional Catholic uh, media site. So to be clear, this isn't directly connected to Catholic Family News. It's not, it's not part of our website. Uh, but uh, when, he, when John passed away, uh, this site and these talks sort of disappeared. The site broke down and, and wasn't maintained. But thanks to his family, they've brought it back. And instead of having to buy it, some of these used to be cassettes. I still have some of them in my <laughs> desk here. And CDs, now they are all 100% instant download. So you can get mm. the uh, get them right away. There are talks, individual talks. Uh, and right now, I think they were, I don't know if it still said, right, yeah, they're running a special, uh, get one free. But then there's also classes on whole topics um, yes. that, that are there that John gave. Some of those are classes he gave to his children. He was a great educator. And if you've yes, never had was. the joy, if you didn't come to tradition when John was around, you didn't have the pleasure to go to a Catholic Family News or Angelus Conference. Uh, he was a, an incredible teacher, John. He knew how to boil things down, to make them simple, to approach a topic in a very organized way, and also with an appropriate level of humor. So we don't get too yes. sort of depressed at looking at things. He had yes. a great way of poking fun at what needed to be mocked in some right. ways, as well as obviously de you know, denouncing what's wrong. Uh, wonderful, yes. wonderful teacher. I'm also part of the, one of his projects. He found two great philosophy professors that were teaching retired up in up near Niagara where he lived near Buffalo mm -hmm. uh, and he got them to record a several series of uh, classes on Thomistic uh, philosophy and uh, they were um, 
Dr. Raphael Waters and Dr. Uh, Dennis Bennett. And I, I had purchased many of these. I got them back when he had recorded them. So these aren't John, but they are wonderful, basic introductions to uh, to mystic philosophy, the perennial philosophy. Um, and uh, they really, they're, they're working to make those available as well. So when they're there, they're, there's one on metaphysics that's fantastic, on moral philosophy. And they're, again, great introductions uh, by, by two great you know, uh, Thomas from an earlier age. So I, we recommend the site to you. Uh, and uh, it's, it's also a great, great way to, to financially support John's widow, um, yes. Susan, and, and his children. So yes, highly, highly recommend it. Yes, highly recommend it. So, well, thank you. It's been a whirlwind. We had a lot to talk about with Ukraine, but it's been bubbling up there. And I know a lot of people have been asking, what do we make of this? So, again, I, we tried to give you our, our thoughts on a complex situation. And uh, we you know, hope, you, hope you have been edified by, uh, by what you heard today. Yes. And as always, with all of the crises going on in the church and the world, we know, uh, you know, as Our Lady of Fatima said, only... Our Lady of the Rosary can help you. Only I can help I can help you, yes. So on that note, we will close by praying together a Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Eternal Father, I offer thee the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy passion, that thou may put division in the camp of thy enemies. For as thy beloved Son has said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. St. Thomas Aquinas. Pray for us. St. Perpetual and Felicity. Pray Pray for for us. us. Our Lady of Fatima. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, thank you for your attention. I uh, hope your little run-up to Lent, this little short week of Lent, has go- is going well for you. Uh, we, look, we wish you a happy, holy, and fruitful uh, rest of the, the days of Lent. And we look forward to seeing you, God willing, next week, where we can uh, analyze and discuss the current news stories. Yes. God bless you and Godspeed. Remember to like and subscribe.